Open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. I would like to convince you today, again, of something you've heard before, but of the absolute sovereignty of the living God. The sovereignty of the living God means he can do whatever he wishes with you and he has no compulsion in his nature to treat you for your own good because he created you for himself and for his own glory and for his own pleasure. You could entitle this sermon, We Are the Clay. You could entitle it, He is the Potter. You could entitle it, Why Are There Hair Lips? You could entitle it, Why Is There Anyone in Hell? Even the Arminian scheme of salvation, which is a God-denying, man-exalting form of doctrine, ends up with, with hell filled with souls for an eternity of torment. And they believe in a God that has foreknowledge, which means he chose to create knowing that they would go to hell and spend an eternity there. Even they have to acknowledge the God that we worship, but we know him, and we want to know him even better. In Isaiah 45 and verse 9, I want to read two verses to you, beginning with that ninth verse, and let you see what the Lord says about himself. Isaiah 45, 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Amen. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Right. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Woe to anyone that would say to their parents, Why did you make me the way I am? They didn't have anything to do with it. And they're the parents and you're the child. You're their offspring. There should be honor and respect there. This is dishonoring. This is disrespectful. It's setting light by a father and a mother. And the Lord says that such a person should be put to death in that 10th verse. You can read that in the book of Leviticus, that setting light by your mother and your father is worthy of capital punishment. But back to that ninth verse, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. And brethren, I fear that we too often strive with our maker because we are unhappy about our lot in life. We're unhappy about a set of circumstances that God has dealt us, and so we complain. We become bitter. We're frustrated. We're discontent. We try to find happiness in this world, and the Lord hasn't created this world for us to find happiness. He's created us for his own happiness. And if we would seek that first, we would find our greatest degree of happiness, fulfillment, and contentment in life. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. God can make you, and not only can he, he has made you exactly as he chose to make you. And the fact that you are less intelligent than others, less attractive than others, shorter, fatter, more foolish, with fewer privileges than others, is all of his mercy and his choice. And every one of us, have a thousand things for which we should be thankful. 
instead of worrying about the things that he hasn't given us. To say to a potter who has made the image of a man without hands, to, for that clay, to, that wet clay, to speak up to the potter and say, you made me without hands. What would you do if you were the potter? And whatever you would do, multiply it by an infinite degree, and that's what the holy God would do. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. You would take that clay and smash it. The clay does not have a right to complain about the way it was fashioned by the potter. Come to Romans chapter 9. Come to Romans chapter 9. I love the Lord this morning. But I hope we fear Him. And I hope that we lay prostrate at His feet and beg for mercy from Him. Yes, He has adopted us, brethren, and I taught you about that great adoption. But that great adoption is by a sovereign choice. And I, I, I hear us rejoicing as we hear a message on His sovereign choice and adoption. But the other circumstances in your life are by sovereign choice also. Are you thankful for them? Or do you chafe? And resent and wish they were different and wish you had a different life. You are the clay barking against the potter. Right. Romans chapter 9, I'd like to read it, verse 13. As it is written from Malachi chapter 1. As it is written, the elders, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay but, O man, Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering? the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Amen and amen. Amen. That is God's word. You don't even have a right to question it. When I come to that 19th verse, which is my favorite verse in all the word of God and the sovereignty of God, the absolute government of God of this universe, he is a despot that sits on high and he creates as a potter, creates vessels out of clay. And he, and the, the, the question that arises from man's sinful and rebellious heart is verse 19. 
Why doth he yet find fault? How can God hold us guilty when we are accomplishing his will at all times? How can he do that? That isn't fair. Why does he still find us at fault when we haven't resisted his will, but he's accomplishing his mighty purpose in us? That isn't fair. That's what the rebellious heart of man wants to say. And do you know what the apostle says? The apostle does not come along in verse 20 and say, you've misunderstood me. Let me, let me go back and state this again. There's no politically correct backward walking in this preaching at all. He says, nay, but, oh man, you don't have a right to even question it. You don't even have a right to raise those questions. Who do you think you are? Shall you reply against God? Are you going to question God? Shall the thing formed talk back to the one that formed it? That's ridiculous. It's absurd. Brethren, the Bible set forth God in a way, the Bible sets forth God in a way for us to fall at his feet and beg for mercy. And he'll have mercy on whom he will have mercy. But I see in the word of God that when a man stood and would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but smote upon his breast, God be merciful to me, a sinner, that man went down to his house justified. Amen. And brethren, we ought to cry for mercy at the feet of God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. I read in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 20, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. When I look at those words, humble yourself under the mighty hand, I see the hands of that potter coming out on that wet clay and fashioning it as he chooses to fashion it. And he can fashion of that same lump one vessel unto dishonor and wrath, whereby he can show the universe eternal torment on that vessel by his almighty power and his perfect sovereignty. I see his mighty hand also fashioning from that lump of clay a vessel of glory that he might show through all eternity how blessed kind he is. He is the blessed and only potentate. But I want to point out he's the blessed potentate. But I also want to tell you he's the only potentate. He is the only one with all power. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. You can't stop him, slow him down, or divert him. And none can question what doest thou. That's Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. I fear, brethren, that we do not see the God of the Bible because we live in a a generation that has lost sight of him and they have rejected him and rebelled against him. And so they have a God, as I was reminded of this past week, that passes out tracts entitled The First Spiritual Law is God Loves You and Has a Wonderful Plan for Your Life. That is the most popular tract ever distributed in the world that I know of. And the first spiritual law is a total lie. God has a wonderful plan for himself. And it may not be a wonderful plan for you. You say, that isn't the God that we hear about. I don't even know if it's a God I've ever heard about. Listen, it's a God that I have to fight to love because my flesh and Satan and the world despises it. I cannot stand the thought of a being that can do with me any way he chooses. I have rights. That's the flesh speaking. 
But you don't, brethren. We have responsibilities. We have responsibilities to run to Him and beg for mercy. And the comfort that I get from the Word of God that if I'm running toward Him and begging for mercy is, I have obtained mercy. Because if He hadn't shown me that mercy, I wouldn't be running to Him. I see in the Garden of Eden a man hiding in the trees who should have been out there seeking that God that he had sinned against. I see a man named Judas Iscariot who knew the Savior intimately for three and a half years who instead of hanging himself and meeting that great judge and blessed potentate with murder on his hands should have run to the Lord Jesus Christ and begged for mercy. He should have been as the thief on the cross though he had lived a dissolute life of wickedness and ungodliness and God-hating activities and thoughts. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Right. And Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The God that we worship and the God of the Bible, if you want to worship the God of the Bible, then you better look only in the Bible for Him. You don't listen to the songs of the world. You don't go out and, and create Him from any other place. You don't look at Mother Teresa and think that she's an example of the God of the Bible. You better go to the Word of God and humble yourself there before Him. He can create you any way that He wishes, and He has. Some of you are short. Some of you are wide. Some of you are dumb. Some of you are ugly. Some of you have, have not had very many opportunities. Some of you were born into families where you didn't have parents that loved you very much. All of that, and a million other things, is the choice of a sovereign God. That means that anyone who has been deprived in any measure of any category of human existence should not chafe because it was God's choice. And anyone who has any blessing in any category of human measurement should not glory in it because it is by the mere pleasure, the sovereign pleasure of the great God. And it is nothing in themselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 would say, Why are you glorying in anything you have? Because it has nothing to do with you. It is a gift that's been given to you by God. And therefore, we should always be thankful. And when we get into circumstances that we wish were different, we wish we'd been created different. Listen, I'd give anything to be six foot two. I didn't like being sawn off at five nine. I didn't like being sawn off at 55 seconds in a quarter mile when I was 15 years old. I would rather have been sawn off at about 47 seconds when I was 15 years old. And I could go on and on and on. We all... We have these little things that we resent about ourselves. But brethren, by the grace of God, and listen, I only say that for your example. I don't think about it. I bless God as far as I can by His blessing on me. I love everything He's done. And I bless His holy name. He's been kind and gracious to me that I'm not in hell at this moment. Because that's where I deserve to be. This is not a popular doctrine. When someone asks you, What are you religiously? You can tell them we're Baptists. When they say, what kind of Baptists? Say, predestinarian Baptists. That'll get a conversation going. Because we are predestinarian Baptists. We believe in the predestination of a sovereign God. Would God create a soul? Do you know what a soul is? It is an entity of self-awareness. And consciousness. 
Would God create a soul, a spirit that is aware of its surroundings, aware of its existence, aware of pain, aware of future pain? Would God create a soul like that and then subject that soul to an eternity in hell? I can guarantee you one thing this morning. Robert Schuller isn't preaching this in the Crystal Cathedral. And it's not being preached by the chaplain at the White House or anywhere else. I want you to think about what I just said. Your soul. Your soul. That part of you that thinks and reasons and hopes and dreams and fears. That thing of you that knows itself. That can experience pain. And disappointment. And anguish and grief and guilt. That soul. Why would God create a soul that can feel all that and know all that and then send them to hell? Because he's a great God. And he didn't send any there that didn't ask to go there. Because when they had their chance, whether it's in the Garden of Eden or whether it's every day of our lives, we choose to thumb our nose at that great God and we come into this world like it's some big buffet and we shove its, in, its, its various forms of food as if it's a buffet into our face and we don't even lift our eyes to heaven and thank him for all that we're partaking of. Would God create a soul that can know embarrassment and shame and pain and disappointment and give that soul a hair lip. The probability of a hair lip is one in 1,000 live births. I want you to think for a minute about a hair lip. Why did God in the first month after conception keep that upper lip from forming together? Why did he keep it separated so that when that child is born, that parent is faced with one of the ugliest things that you can look at on the human face. And then it has to be sewn together. And it still leaves that horrible scar. Why does God do that? Now I want to tell you something. If I call you little babies, I'm calling all of us little babies. If we ever complain about the things that we have in our lives, we are fools. He is so merciful to us. Amen. I don't know any of you that I should feel sorry for. But I want you to think about a God that does that. And we don't deserve that. Do you know that the sun shines on that person with a hair lip as much as on any other person? Right. Do you know that the rain falls on them and waters the ground to bring forth their cereal and bread and crackers and the, what they sustain their lives with just like everyone else? It falls on the flowers that are in their flower garden. He's still merciful. Amen. But do you know what we are as human beings? All we can see is the hair lip. We look in the mirror and all we can see is the hair lip. We are fools. Right. Envy. Wishing we were like someone else. Wishing we had something that someone else has. Envy is the folly of a God-hater. Right. 
If you want anything that you do not have, unless it's to please God more, if you want anything that you do not have, it is the foolishness of a God-hating heart. Because you are rebelling against the way God made you. It is not our right. Woe unto him that speaks against his maker. Or that even says, you forgot the hands. What if you were born without hands? Would that be a horrible thing? Are there ever people born without hands? Indeed there are. Is that a horrible thing? It is a horrible thing. But there's a living God in heaven that does that. And he has deprived all of us of certain things that we think we need to be happy. Because he wants to see if we'll humble ourselves before him and be happy with the things that we do have. And if you need help with the things that you do have, email me or come by and see me. And I will help you develop a list of the things you should be thankful for. But I want to talk about one, brethren. You're not in hell yet. And the fact that you're sitting here this morning shows that grace has been shown in your life. Mike Jones is a miracle to me. But you are all miracles to me, and I should be a miracle to you. That I have any interest in God is by His mighty power reaching down when He shouldn't have, when He didn't need to, and rescue me from my sins. How in the world can we deny Him anything? In the beginning, God. He is the first cause of everything. Don't you ever let your soul or anyone else bark about the origin of sin. Sin would never enter this universe unless it was God's plan for sin to enter the universe. Sin did not catch God off guard. It did not surprise him. He has done nothing in a remedial way because he got taken off guard, was surprised, or his plans were disrupted. And do you know what that means? That means that there are souls created that are self-aware, that can suffer pain, that will be sent to hell for the glory of that great God. And if you don't like that, then you do not know the God of the Bible and you are are rebelling against the God of the Bible. And if you feel sorry for humanity, why don't you start with a being that deserves it first? And that's Lucifer, the son of the morning, that was the highest created being that God ever made. Did God know in his perfect foreknowledge and determinate counsel that Lucifer was going to sin against him and he would cast him down to hell and reserve him in chains for everlasting torment without a chance? Do you know the anguish and screaming fury and pain that is going to come out of that being for all of eternity? It will be a manifestation of the glorious God that we worship. He will grind Lucifer into eternal torment and punishment for his own honor and glory. And he created him for that end. God never created, then got surprised with sin, and then decided he would do something about it. Uh Uh-uh. You've never read your Bibles. Never has God been taken off guard by sin and then had to react. You should read the book of Job. All those men in Job knew that full well. 
Well, your sins don't do anything against God. Are you kidding me? He can keep you from sinning so easily. What happened to that poor, poor uh, king of Egypt that took Sarah one day because Abraham said, she's my sister. He took Sarah and he took her to bed. Or he took her into his house as a wife. And God said, I kept you from touching her. Now, why didn't God keep David from touching Bathsheba? Because he's God, brethren, and we are the clay. Do you know that you have a soul? Do you know about your soul? It loves, it hates, it feels, it's aware, it's aware of, it's aware of your existence. You can talk to yourself, isn't it? It's, a, it's an unusual little thing. It's what the animals don't have. You can talk to yourself. You can think. You can plan about the future. You can think about what's going to happen, how other people are treating you, looking at you, feeling towards you, what your hopes, dreams, and ambitions are, your intentions, what guilt, shame. You can feel all of that. That soul is a very unique thing. And you know there's a lot of preaching and a lot of teaching and a lot of believing and a lot of songwriting going on that talks about the dignity of man. Well, brethren... When I read this book of 31,000 and some verses, I don't find any dignity of man. What I find in page after page is the glory of God. Amen. I don't see any dignity of man because he's got that soul. That soul has led men to hallucinate the doctrine of existentialism, which means because I exist, therefore I'm special. Because I exist, I want to find out why, who made me and give him the glory But I want to ask you something, brethren. When that God created your soul, did he come to you first and ask you, now there's a high probability that you could spend eternity in hell. Do you still want to be created? Or would you just like to never exist? I'm trying to make this real for you. Did he ever go to any soul and say, there is absolute certainty that you're going to hell. Do you want to be created? Did he ask you if you wanted to be born in this blessed country of the United States of America? Did he ask you and show you beforehand your parents so that you could say, Those parents aren't going to love me as much as I wish they would. They're not going to be a godly example. I don't want to be born to them. He didn't ask you. Did he ask you how tall you would be? How tall you wanted to be? Did he tell you how tall you were going to be so that you could make a choice not to be born? Did he tell you that in the basketball court you'd always be two steps slower so that you'd look like a jerk out there? Did he tell you that he's never going to let you meet with great financial success? And therefore, do you still want to be created or not? Did he tell you that I'm going to make the average man with an IQ of 100, but yours is going to be 91? Do you still want to be created? No, he didn't, brethren. He didn't ask any questions. and He didn't consult with anyone except himself. And he created for his own honor and glory. And I want to praise him today 
and I want to humble you before him into the dust as a worm, thankful for his glorious salvation, that he would reach down and save us. Amen. He does, there is nothing in the nature of God that requires him to save and show mercy toward his enemies. Nothing. Do you understand that from what I've just gone through? He can create a soul that is capable of suffering torment for eternity and then send that soul to hell. And he doesn't ask that soul whether it's willing for that or not. He just creates it. And you cannot stop the existence now of your soul. God started it. God created it. And you cannot undo it. You cannot undo the fact that you will be to the glory and praise of the living God. It almost sounds like I'm preaching heresy because this is so contrary to what we've been taught in this country. There is nothing in the nature of God to make him feel sorry for his wicked enemies. The minute that you think that, tell me about his feelings toward Lucifer. And tell me what in the world it would be. Love? God does not believe in unconditional love like this world does. Because God can only love a holy object. Right. He must hate every unholy object. He didn't ask us anything. He created all things for himself. Amen. Look at Proverbs chapter 16 just to let the English print match up with your eyes and hopefully with your minds so that you can see. They call this in circles where they're wasting time reasoning about things that are unimportant. They call this the controversy between a supralapsarian position and a sublapsarian position in the decrees of God. They ought to be spending their time on their knees begging that God for mercy rather than trying to tell him how he had better put things in order in order to be fair. That's what that controversy is all about. God didn't do anything as a result of sin. He did everything prior to sin. There is nothing in the Bible to tell us anything contrary to that and everything to tell us that that's exactly how he did it. Romans chapter 9, verses 22 through 24 that we just read. I'm a, you're at Proverbs 16 you should stay there. But those verses, what if God, as the potter, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Out of the same lump, he's made a vessel to dishonor and a vessel to honor. Amen. It's all by grace. Right. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Praise his holy name. Amen. You can play around with that for the day of evil any way you wish, but I'm going to tell you something. When those souls are cast into hell, that's going to be a day of evil, and it's going to be an eternal day of evil, but it's a day that was designed for the glory of God. And hell was purposed before he created. Otherwise, you end up with a being that isn't God at all. you end up with a being that is responding to the universe rather than doing according to his will. 
He works all things after the counsel of his own will. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Don't be mistaken, brethren. You know, to be foolish and to go through this life jesting and worrying about some of the stupid and foolish things that young men worry about is to be like an insane hyena. We should be sober. And we should be given to prayer and loving His Word and loving Him and hating our pride and hating our complaining and hating our unthankfulness. Right. Do you know how much we have to be thankful for? You have the hope of eternal life, brethren. And I don't mean hope by some vague wondering. I mean a confident assurance. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, you're so full of sin. And this world is so full of sin, you wouldn't care at all about Him. But when we live a carnal life, we are not serving Him. How can we lay claim to any hope of eternal life if we're living carnally? We've got to be living completely for Him and to His honor and glory. He didn't consult you about anything. He just dumped you into existence. And you can't stop it. You know, you, you read the newspaper accounts of those who commit suicide. And you read their little scrawled message of self-love. Remember, Suicide is the highest form of self-love. I have not been treated in life the way that I think I should be treated. That is the highest form of self-love is suicide. No one understands that. It's the Word of God. No one has ever committed suicide because they hated themselves. They hated the fact that they weren't treated the way they thought they should be treated. That means they love themselves too much. On that little note, well, I'm going to end all the pain. What an idiot. What a fool. I just can't put up with the pain anymore. You want to talk about the pain that's coming next? I can't describe it to you, brethren. I don't know how to describe it. All I can say is that the Lord wanted to describe it as a lake of fire. And drowning in fire forever just sounds beyond description to me. Being in the blackness of darkness forever, alienated completely from God, sounds horrible. I just got to end the pain. No sin has ever occurred in the universe that wasn't for the glory of God. The worst sin that ever occurred was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and I preached this to you last Sunday evening, and that was entirely in all of its details to the glory of God. He didn't have to force anyone to do any of that. They did it so willingly. He had to hold them back so that Jesus could have three and a half years to preach so that he could fulfill the 70th week of Daniel. Because I read the first time he preached in his own hometown. Do you know what they tried to do to him? They tried to take him to the edge of where their city was built and throw him off that cliff. Though five minutes earlier, they all were in wonder because they had never heard such a gracious being in their entire lives. That's the nature of man. I think God is very fair. What I don't understand about him is that he loved anyone or saved anyone. All mankind should be in hell with all the devils that sinned. That would be fair. God isn't fair. He's gracious, brethren. He's the blessed and only potentate. 
He's not just the only potentate. He is the blessed potentate. And I want us to love him more. I want us to seek him more. And I want us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Because when we do that, he will lift us up in due time. He will not lift anyone up who thinks highly of themselves. And if you don't want to get down now, you are showing the spirit of someone that he is going to grind down later. So brethren, can we all agree that we want to get down now before him and worship him and adore him and praise his holy name? What is so attractive about sin compared to earning the fury of that sovereign being? preach for weeks on this subject. I want to give you a few things to think about. You know, the sovereignty of God is only a value if it leads you to do something in your life. Right. I mean, it gives God the glory, and I'd preach to an empty, I'd preach to a wall if God told me that would give him glory. I hope that all of you in your hearts love to read about him, think about him, sing about him, and pray about him, and talk about him to others. But I see precious little of it. There needs to be more of it. You know, the whole purpose for your life ought to be to give God the glory. I remember when Joshua confronted Achan. Give God the glory. I like those words. Are you willing to live that way? I preached it a few weeks ago. After the sermon, I know how you felt. Many of you, you told me. You were convicted. You said that was a good sermon. That was helpful. I want to go home. The dishes. Being a wife. All the difficult things of life that's easy to complain about. I'm going to do it to the glory of God. Well, let's do it. Give God the glory. You are a created being for no other purpose than His pleasure. You were not created and put on planet Earth to get pleasure, to enjoy the flowers. You say, but what did He, didn't He create flowers for us to enjoy them? Yes, He did. But God created flowers for you to enjoy Him. Amen. Because they're just a little tiny token of His weaving abilities. Right. He said Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed into like one of these and they grow like weeds. It's Everything goes back to God. Everything. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Don't ever get confused. He did not have man here and then feel sorry for man, so he made something that man would like. He made something that we get pleasure from for his honor and glory. But all of it goes back to the Lord. Give God the glory in everything you do, everything you have. Life isn't money. It's not pleasure. It's not family. It's not health. It's God's glory. Totally. We can only live with one thought in mind. I am a created being. I deserve an eternity in hell. I have an eternal soul that God has the right and the power to judge forever. That should lead to one action, running to him with repentance and begging for mercy. And no one has ever run to him in repentance, begging for mercy, but has been rejected. Isn't that comforting? It's a law of the word of God. Show me the example that's run to God in true sincerity and repentance, that's been rejected. Ah, That's why I love that thief on the cross. He had nothing to claim. He couldn't go back to anything in his life, but it was just pure begging God for mercy. 
Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There was no, I'll think about it. There was no, I need six weeks of repentance on your part. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. God is so merciful. The holy God of predestination is going to be our judge in the final day. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What's the purpose? This is Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For the last verse of Ecclesiastes, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Period. That's why that's the whole duty of man. And that's the conclusion of life is to fear that God and to keep his commandments because he's going to bring everything into judgment. Do you live like that, brethren? Happiness is exalting God. How else are you trying to find happiness? It's exalting the being that created you. The only perfect being in the universe. Really, the only being. The rest are just vanity compared to him. And so anytime we get caught up in the pursuit of things in this life, we're going to be frustrated. I've preached this before. I know that. But this holy God that created us, for his own pleasure and his own glory and for himself. That should be the end of all our activities. We should work to have enough to eat, to survive, to serve him. Not to make a name for ourselves. Not to have more toys. Why Why are you looking for happiness in toys? The happiness can only be in him. And if it's not in him, I cannot offer you any hope of eternal life. If you are finding happiness here, brethren, it looks like you have found your heaven because your hell is coming. If you can only see your true happiness there, you're going through the worst it's going to be for you now. Do not deceive yourselves, brethren. Ambition, what this world calls a noble thing, ambition is the folly of forgetting God. I want to achieve something in my life. If you want to achieve something in your life, magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ before the whole world. That's that's a good that's a great ambition. You owe him everything. How thankful are you for every aspect of your life that's better than hell? How many aspects does that include? All of them. You're too thin, you can't gain weight. You're too fat, you can't lose weight. You're too dumb, you can't get smart. You're too smart, so you're always frustrated, you can't get dumb. I mean, what you complain about everything. It's so easy to complain about everything. Why do I have those misshapen teeth? Why am I so short? Why is my hair leaving me so early? Why did it turn gray so early? And on and on. We complain, we moan, we murmur. We And it's horrible. He created us. Every time you do that, Think about the clay. What would you do if you were there in your solitude making something that you pictured in your mind and the thing complained to you? What are you going to look like when I put you back in the mixer and add a little water? What would you say to it? I can add enough water to you that you'll go right down the drain. Every time you're complaining about something, But do you know what human nature is? Do you know how wicked sin is? All we see is the hair lip. 
Though the hare lip was born into a, fa a Christian family, though the hare lip heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, though the hare lip has the evidence of eternal life, though the hare lip lives in America, though the hare lip was born in the 20th century, all it can see is the hare lip. And you know what? We've all got hare lips in different ways that we all complain about. God have mercy upon us. Amen. Why do mongoloids occur? How could God send a soul into existence that would live that way? Why can God send souls into starving Ethiopians? How can he do that? Because he's the holy God. Amen. And he's done all things for his own pleasure. Right. But brethren, he's been so merciful to us. But how, often, how, how do we thank him? I read in John chapter 9 that our Savior passed by and with his disciples and saw a man blind from his mother's womb. A man blind from his mother's womb? And they said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, None of them sinned that he was born blind. He was born blind so that I could manifest the works of God in the earth. Right. Do you mean that a man had to suffer through 30 years of blindness just so Jesus could do a miracle? Amen. Do you mean his parents had to put up with a blind child just so Jesus could do a miracle? That's right. Praise his holy name. I think being blind for 30 years and then being allowed to see is a whole lot better than going to hell. Right. And I'll bet we're going to meet the man from John chapter 9 one of these days. Right. And he's going to be right up front. He's going to be right up front, brethren. What are you complaining about today? Jesus told us that we're to fear someone. You know, he told us, not, he told us don't fear them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. He said, fear him that's able to kill the body and then cast the soul into hell. Amen. That's what the Bible tells us. Those are the sweet words of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we should look at God and his son, Jesus Christ. That was Luke 12, verses 4 and 5. Brethren, you don't have any personal glory. Shouldn't this doctrine make humility easy? Amen. What in the world, what in the world do any of us have that wasn't given to us from God? Okay. You know what I think when I, think, when I hear the words of self-made man? I think of the cordwood for the eternal fires. Because that's somebody that is not acknowledging God at all. Right. And that man shows that he has no knowledge of the God of heaven. And when I see someone that's poor and happy and, and, and humble, that's a God-blessed man that's going to be in heaven. Amen. There's no reason for pride. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 7. I've mentioned it, but I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. I believe the solution to so many of our problems is to humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God. The Bible tells me that in, in a place. It implies it in many other places. But when I read the whole Bible and I fear for your souls and mine, I see it as the answer to our problems many times. Our concerns about the little things of life bothering us. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, the apostle said, For who maketh thee to differ from another? 
Do you know the answer to that rhetorical question? Who maketh thee to differ from another? We all, we're all very, very different. Who made us to differ from another? God did. God is the rhetorical answer to that question. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? What do you have that wasn't given to you? Self-made man? Independent woman? What do you have that wasn't given to you on a silver platter? Nothing. Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? That's a doctrine to humble man. Anything you've got was handed to you on a silver platter. Oh, time and chance happeneth to them all. That's right. And who is the Lord of time and chance? The Lord himself. It's been handed to you on a silver platter. All men work hard. Oh, but I've worked harder than the rest. It was handed to you on a silver platter. Look at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Can you handle Job chapter 1? Can you really take these two verses and believe them? I mean believe them to where you could live them. Job 1 verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and threw a temper tantrum. And worshipped. His clothes are torn, his head is shaved, and he's laying on the ground worshiping. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Anything outside of those three verses is sinning with your lips and charging God foolishly. What has happened to you this past week that has hurt you compared to this? This man was torn completely down. His balance sheet was completely destroyed. His balance sheet in any way that you want to look at it was completely destroyed. His financial assets, his family, his health, Everything was taken from him. And yet I hear people making deals with the Lord. If only the Lord would give me this. If only the Lord would give me that. Brethren, do you know what I'm really trying to preach to you today? If the Lord didn't give you another blessing, will you still love and fear him and worship on your face? Right. You single people, can you say this? If God never gives me a spouse... I still have the Lord, and He is enough. He is more than enough for me. I hear the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If we ever had a picture of God, he would be enough. He was enough for Job. Job lost everything. His sons, his daughters, his house, his assets, his health. His wife is complaining. If there was ever, if there was ever a man 
who had a reason to complain, we never have a right. A reason from a human, natural, sinful standpoint. It was Job. But Job said, you clothed my soul with a naked body and you brought me into this world. And I had nothing to do with that. And so anything I had beyond that was you gave it to me and you have the right to take it away because naked is my soul going to go out of this world without even that body. And he worshiped. And I want you to worship the God that this Bible describes. I want you to worship him. Could you say that? Could you say if I never make any money, if I never am able to walk before men with success, I don't care at all, Lord, because I have you. And between you and me, that is success. Because knowing you is success to my soul. And I don't think that anyone that is, un- that is unwilling to say that deserves a spouse. And if you say to me, that's because you already have one. There's other things that I get tested with. As you single people get tested without having a spouse. But I wonder how much you love the Lord. You don't have rights. We have responsibilities. Remember, we're the clay. Fretting about not having enough time to do this or not having enough money to do that or not having enough opportunities to do this or that is fretting against God. He knows every aspect of what opportunities you do or do not have and your time and your money. He knows all of that. And do you know what? There is so much peace in what I'm preaching to you this morning. You may not see it as peace. You may see it as dread. And you ought to see it as dread. But brethren, in fearing God fully is the greatest peace. Because God is in charge of everything. And he has made you the way you are and you ought to be content with it. He has given you what you have and you ought to be content with it. I don't mean sinning. I mean your circumstances of life. You know, the Apostle Paul prayed three times that a thorn in the flesh would be taken away from him. And when it wasn't, he got excited. And if you doubt my words, you need to go read 2 Corinthians 12 again. He got excited. He said, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities. Because when there's something wrong with me, when I'm weak, when I'm struggling, then the Lord gets to manifest his strength. Because only when I am weak can the Lord show his strength. Most gladly, therefore, will I take pleasure in infirmities. That's the Apostle Paul. That sounds twisted, but it's godly, it's scriptural, and what a way to live. Paul was content at all times. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know when I'm full and how to be hungry. When I'm hungry, I know how to be full, because he always had the Lord. Amen. And I want to tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ. He always set the Lord before him. And he is our example. He always had the Lord before him. He always pleased the Lord. Brethren, when you have conviction in your heart about a sin, when you have conviction in your heart that you ought to be living for the Lord more fully, I want to tell you something about those feelings. That is from the Holy God. Amen that doesn't ever have to do that for you. There is nothing in his nature requiring him to do that for you. That is pure mercy. Amen. And when you, when you sense I have sinned, let me tell you what to do. 
Don't spare one nanosecond. Repent of that sin. He does not owe you that mercy. He will not always show you that mercy. When you feel the least compunction for your sin, when you have a little bit of conviction from whatever source, from me, from your spouse, from the Bible, from just the Lord talking to your heart. You know, Mike Jones came to me because the Lord came after him. And Mike, don't get embarrassed about me talking about you. The Lord came after him. And I love that testimony that the Lord's given us. It wasn't by might, nor by power, nor by outlines, nor by sermons, nor by cassette tapes, nor by anything else. It was by the Spirit of God convicting him. And when we get some of that conviction, there's one thing to do. Flee! Run to the Lord Jesus Christ and lay hold of him because in mercy he's coming after you. He does, we do not deserve any of that. It would be fair if he didn't, but he is. Bless and praise his holy name. Brethren, you can relax about the future. There's nothing to fear. We know the future. God wins. Amen. And do you know what? He knows the future so well that he's able to tell you it's vain for you to get up early. It's vain for you to stay up late. That's right. It's vain for you to eat the bread of sorrows. You want a verse to live by, to live peacefully for the rest of your life? Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. It's vain, because so he giveth his beloved sleep. Do you know what? It's all in God's hands. Right. And do you know what he says to us? He says, don't. He doesn't ask us to make a difference. He says, I'll make a difference. And he has made a difference. He says, don't get up early. Don't stay up late. Don't eat the bread of sorrows. Don't be moaning about your circumstances. Don't be complaining. Don't be fretting. Don't be worrying. Don't be concerned that you don't have enough time, money, or opportunities to get all the things done that you see. Do you know what you ought to do? After a reasonable effort, go to bed. Sleep it. Sleep on it. You say, well, you can't get anything done sleeping. I want to tell you this. If you go into Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, and believe them, you'll get more more done sleeping than any man alive gets done awake. Right. Because the Lord will do it for you. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The Lord's proved those verses to me, and I give them to you. And they're all based on a God that has created all things for himself. He's in charge of everything. You don't have to worry. All he asks is our reasonable service, and he'll do the rest. We have a God that's worthy of praise, brethren. I hope you love to praise him. I hope you love to talk to him and meditate upon his greatness. He is so incredibly great that he could create Lucifer for eternal torment he said himself that there are four beautiful things in the earth a lion was one of them because it's king of beasts another was a king against whom there is no rising up a despotic king against whom no one dares do or say anything Nebuchadnezzar was a king like that Ahasuerus was a king like that I mean if Ahasuerus didn't lift his scepter When even his wife entered the room, Queen Esther, she'd be taken out and killed immediately. 
No trial, no Supreme Court, no appeals. Brethren, you're living in the wrong country. Right. You've never seen authority. If Ahasuerus did not raise up his scepter, his own wife would be taken out and killed. And she was so afraid of that happening because it was a regular occurrence that she wanted prayer three days and three nights before she went in to ask her husband for dinner, for lunch. It wasn't even a dinner. It was just for lunch. That's authority. God says he loves to see a king like that because in that king he sees the authority that he has over the universe. Right. And he says that's a comely thing, a king against whom there is no rising up. A Nebuchadnezzar that just for the whim, because he thinks that someone is speaking against his God, whether it was his pagan God or the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would kill you, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews. Then he would take a dozer, level your house. He would have tractor trailers come in and dump chicken doo-doo in a great big pile and put a sign there, this is where... My enemy lived. That's authority. See, we've never seen anything like that. And God said he looks at a king like that and says, it's beautiful. I want to tell you something. Can you look at the God of the Bible and say he's beautiful? His absolute power. Amen. And he's perfectly just and righteous in all that he's done. We have been his enemies. We have sinned against him. But he has mercy on us. And he's provided a savior in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he's given us a hope of eternal life by regenerating our hearts so that we see him and we love him and we want to obey him. But brethren, I exhort you to obey him more. What in the world can we waste our time chasing other things? How can we complain? How can we be proud? How can we not be thankful? All of those things flow from the sovereignty of God, for he is the governor of heaven and earth. Amen. And everything we have was given to him by us, and everything we have that is better than hellfire at this moment is pure mercy. Right. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.